can be seated. Well, you're already seated. That's good. Well done. Okay. <laughs> you want to teach the sermon? I mean, you got it down already, right? So, all right. Um, so we're in a three-week mini-series on First uh, Corinthians chapter 12. And as we go through this, last week I, I gave you four questions to ask as we think about how this passage teaches us dependence and interdependence. It teaches us uniqueness and it teaches us oneness. So that's kind of the foundation. But as we go through this, I want to encourage you, challenge you, imagine and dream with me if thousands of people across the multiple churches we have, Fellowship North, Fellowship Pacific, soon to be Fellowship North Shore, et cetera, et cetera, as God builds and grows, and as well as Fellowship Middlebrook, all understanding, grasping the concept of the body of Christ and being grasped by the Spirit to actually live this way on mission together. Just, just open your heart and your mind to what that might look like and how transforming it would be of your life, of our church, of our community and our world, if we really just said, okay, we're in. We're all in, whatever this is, we're all in. So today, we're gonna, second part of our three-part series, we're gonna, we're gonna look at uh, verse 12 to the end of the chapter, and we've got three sections for this. I'm gonna talk a little bit about the bigger picture of what's going on from the Father's perspective, because it's Father's Day. Then our lead teaching pastor, Greg Pinkner, is gonna come and talk about the role of the Holy Spirit and understanding more deeply the Holy Spirit that's moving these gifts, that's offering these gifts of grace. And then together, he and I are going to dialogue about verses 27 and following because there's, there's some real questions there about how do you engage this? How do you understand this? This does, I don't quite know what to do with this. And there's places people go in the extremes that aren't healthy. And we want to make sure that we avoid those places. And so what we want to do is begin by thinking about 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 through 26. Let me read that. I'm just going to read it. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along or you can listen as I read. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verses 12 through 26. For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. That's your, pretty much your summary statement. It's one body. It's got many members. They're all one. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into the body. One body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, well, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, this would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the, the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it less, any less part of the body. If, he, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. I think that's kind of clear what he's saying here. But this is really interesting. The eye cannot say the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker, they're indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. In other words, just what you see and what you notice and what you might Im immediately think is the most important actually probably is not it, the way it actually works. God, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So there's so much happening, and I want to give you four things to think about from the heart of the Father that the Spirit's at work in. These are like, okay, behind the scenes, what's really going on here? 
First of all, it's very clear from this passage that God creates all his children uniquely. We spoke in that last week. Let me press it a little farther. Two things. One, God is a God of extreme diversity and contrast. Diversity wasn't something someone thought up like in like 10 years ago. Hey, diversity is important. Let's start talking about that. Like that's God. Your senses are so drawn to diversity. That's why when you eat something salty, that Coke tastes so good. That's why you put a little salt on your chocolate covered caramel and repent after you eat three of them, right? Just going to eat one. Just going to eat one. Well, three, they're, they're little, right? Their taste like contrast. The great foods that you'll ever taste are ones where people have taken unique flavors and put them together to get this flavor you'd never have without the components. The way you see, you love contrast. Imagine if next football season, the Tennessee Vols decided to go with yellow uniforms trimmed in Tennessee orange. Yikes. The orange has too much yellow in it, you can't do that. But you put that orange on smoky gray, makes you think you can beat Alabama. I mean, it puts you in a mood, <laughs> right? The contrast. Hearing, you just hear, like you take one of these instruments, it's nothing like together. There's harmony going on here in the sound. We're drawn to that. We love that. Our smells, we love the smell of, of, a, of a good food and, and we smell of the, the spring air. There's so much. And if you put all that together, that's what a, a, a high-end chef does. They put all that together. They, you see it, you taste it, you smell it, right? Like that's, God's like that. And so he, when he creates this body, he's going to be very unique in bringing it together. And, but it's not just so you can be unique. It's so we can benefit from all this uniqueness drawn together as one, which together starts to tell us a little bit about who he is because what he's doing is like he's distributing parts of himself among us. Second, this is not to be confused with your Enneagram or Myers-Briggs, right? 1 Peter 4.10 says, as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's various grace, varied grace. We have a position paper on spiritual gifts because it's such an important issue and because there's a lot of, of, I call them ditches. You can get this ditch and this ditch, and it's a wide path, but you start getting some of the ditches and you really lose the reality of what's going on here. But here's what we say in that, that paper. Each gift is specifically designed to build up the body of Christ on its collective journey toward maturity in Christ. In other words, it's given to you to offer to the body, and it's not just your personality or what you do well, or there's nothing wrong with those things, but that's not it. The gifts effectually accomplish God's will by sustaining the church, empowering the communication, impact of the gospel message through the church, building up the church in strength and character, pointing to the future perfect fulfillment of his salvation work, manifesting his sovereign power for his glory, and leading the church always towards Christ. And that's powerful stuff. These gifts that, that you have and I have, they, when they come together, the exponential multiplication is like the harmony we hear. It's like the taste. It's like the colors coming together. Secondly, the father values his children equally. The passage says it's, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Greek or none of the above, American or Arabic, white or black or Asian, like what God is, there's value and, and let me tell you this, if you follow the cultural rule in this stuff and you say, okay, I'm going to learn to love myself as the way God's gifted me. That's going to be my highest value. I'm going to learn to love myself. You are going to be so limited in how much you're going to grow. The, the calling is not for you to learn to love yourself. You already do, whether you do it well or not, you do. 
the calling is to learn to learn to love the one who loves you and find your value in that love. Because that is incomparable, inexhaustible, and it's eternal. This is a grace-based reality that we have, that we've been given. And, and Ephesians 1 tells us that the Holy Spirit is a seal of our inheritance. The Holy Spirit is given to us so that we can know we are his children and we are loved. And we don't have to compete. I raised two boys that are 25 months apart. They could not, they, they competed for the air that they breathed. We walked out of the restaurant. I can beat you to the car. They'd run to the car. We'd go through McDonald's and I would plead with the 16 year old behind the speaker for the love of all that is holy. Do not give me two different Happy Meal toys. Just one. We cannot survive having to fight over whose toy is better. As they got older, it was fighting over, well, you let him do this and you let him do that. I finally just gave in. I said, yes, I did because I love him more and I care about him more and I'm going to continue to do it because I don't like you. <laughs> well, I might not have done that more than a couple of times. Anyway, so <laughs> there's no competing here. I love my, my boys equally. They're, I used to tell them, you're so different. Why are you competing? You're, you're not even alike. Just let it go. But we naturally do, but we don't have to. And God looks on the heart. He says in 1 Samuel, he looks on the heart, not the appearance. He's not paying attention to which one. He sees the heart of what's, and that's what he cares about. And so our giftings are uniquely created by him and they're equally valuable. And he loves his children individually and collectively. And that means the we matters. And that's what we want to drive home in this series. Yes, God loves you. Yes, the Spirit of God comforts you and brings you into truth and does a lot of things individual in your life. But I'm going to say this until they, I have no more breath. It's not about you. It's about him and us and you. Your gifts do not belong to you. They belong to him. And he loves us individually, but he loves us collectively. And he wants to love us through one another. That's why the passage are so many one another passages, so much Jesus prayed for that we'd be unified. Why? Because entrusted with you are ways in which you can love others that I can't. They're just things that like, I've always said, like I, I so respect the pastor of like a church of 150, right? Because a pastor of a church of 150 is like so in people's lives. So I would be fired after three weeks if I were the pastor. I'm just not that good at that. Now, I can lead something like what we do here, but I couldn't do, I couldn't lead a small church. I'm not gifted for it. It's not, I would, I would fail miserably, right? And, and sadly in our culture, sometimes people are like, oh, we're leading a large church, so you must be really good. No, that's just what I, that's my gift to do. But the goal of it is to love you well. I remember when things were at the worst here, and some of you, most of you haven't been around this, but we went, had some really hard years, my first four years particularly, I remember driving into the parking lot before my sermon and crying because I just didn't want to go in and deal with that one more day. And I said, God, what do you want me to do? This is not working. People are not following. This is, this is not going well. What do you want me to do? How am I supposed to lead these people? And it was very clear. God said to me, love them. I didn't call you to do anything or go anywhere. I called you to love them. Now start loving them. And I, everything else is up to me. And I'm like, oh, so my gift of teaching is not to get people to follow me. It's not to get what I want. It's not to make the church grow. My gift of teaching is an access point for people to the love and the truth of who God is and all of his grace and truth. He loves his children individually. He loves them collectively. And it, it matters to his heart that we love each other well. My boys 
it took uh, 18 years for them to love each other, but now they do. And I can't tell you what it does to my father's heart on Father's Day. This is my third Father's Day where my boys liked each other. <laughs> yeah, you laugh till you live it for 20 years. <laughs> Finally, he offers himself to his children humbly and generously. Some of you have read enough history to know there was a time when, when people focused their whole lives on trying to find relics, a drop of Jesus's blood, the, uh, the ring from John the Baptist's finger, the shroud that the apostle Paul was bearing, anything, to, a relic of, of find some holy thing and attach yourself. Wars were waged over finding relics. God doesn't distribute himself through relics. He distributes himself through the spirit. First Peter four goes on to say, whoever speaks as one, speak as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Those gifts we've been given have been given from the spirit to uniquely and equally and individually and collectively offer God to one another with humility and generosity. And I will tell you this, there is nothing more attractive in the world than a heart that is full of humility and generosity to the body of Christ and the world. And that's what the Spirit is doing with whatever gift you have. It's been entrusted to you for that purpose. Now, to understand a little bit more about the role of the Holy Spirit in making that happen, our teaching pastor, uh, Greg Pinkner, is going to come and share with us. Uh, good morning, and happy Father's Day. Uh, I'm glad that you are here with us. Uh, you know, Rick was talking about his teaching gift is to build access and unity. Uh, my teaching gift is to destroy my enemies and leave their families weeping <laughs> in my wake. So different gifts, different gifts. Let's celebrate them all. Uh, the Holy Spirit. So when you talk about Trinitarian uh, theology and you begin to break down the persons of God, uh, it's difficult to overstate. If you overstate, you, you play down the essential unity of God. But if you too stress the essential unity of God, you lose the individual persons. So we want to be careful not to go too far. But uh, pneumatology, the study of the Spirit, uh, is one of those things that we neglect oftentimes, uh, especially in evangelicalism. Evangelicalism basically started because of a war over the Bible. In the late 1800s, uh, liberalism had claimed universities and was beginning to oust the Bible. And so groups of people got together in the early 1900s and began to write papers and scholarships saying, no, we must essentially believe the Bible. They called themselves the fundamentalists. Uh, we think of fundamentalists as, you know, people who won't look at a pair of dice because they'll die and burn in hell. But what it originally term originally meant was uh, a group of people who want to hold the Bible is central. And that war has been fought for so long that many of the aspects of the experiential side of Christianity are left. All you need is the Bible. All you need is the Bible and reading the Bible. And that's all you need. The Bible is so central to our faith, so central to our lives but what the Bible teaches is what is important, not the physical pages. And what the physical pages teach us is that there is a Holy Spirit, a person of God, whose entire existence is to live with you, 
right? So let's go to Jesus's first words about the Holy Spirit and what he says to the apostles and what he lays out about the Holy Spirit and how we as people who want to believe the Bible need to interact with the truths that Jesus our Lord taught us. So in the book of John, this is what Jesus says. This is in the upper room. This is right before they're about to leave and go to Gethsemane. In John chapter 16, he says this, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. This is John 16, seven. So if I gave you a choice, if I came in and I said, all right, how many of you would like for Jesus Christ to show up here in the flesh, come up here and teach the Bible study this morning? Probably 90% of Christians in America would go, uh, yeah, that would be fantastic. I'd love to see Jesus face to face. That would be great. Uh, and like once would probably be great and we're gonna see him eventually. But note that Jesus goes, it is better for you if I leave. It is better for you if I go away. Because Jesus now is and I want to use the word limited, so take that with every possible grain of salt on earth, but limited to his physical body now, right? He can only speak in one church a week, but the Holy Spirit is in every single one of us, unlimited. God cannot be bound. He has no limits, and the Spirit is equally in every believer with all of his power, the helper, Greek word paraclete. Uh, when you teach people what that word means, helper, the, the closest kind of thing I can say to you is the word advocate uh, or defense attorney, if you wanted to use the word. He's, he's the one who speaks for us, who prays to God for us in words we can't even know, who is with us, who knows our thoughts, who, who knows every single thing about us. Now, he, of course, freely shares that information with the Father and with Jesus our Lord. But that's his role, to dig in, to be there, to be all a part of us, with us, living, breathing, going. He is the God you know, if you'll allow me to say it that way. And again, I don't want to overstress. But when he comes, Jesus gives that spirit three jobs that the Holy Spirit's going to be active in. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Those three things. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. These are the roles the Holy Spirit plays in all of our lives. Now, if you think about your interactions with the Holy Spirit, they're gonna break down into these things in one way or another. When you are encouraged by the Spirit, you're growing in righteousness. You're understanding who God is and what God requires. Uh, when you are condemned by the Spirit because of sin, condemned is the wrong word, convicted by the Spirit because of sin. It's, righteous, it's sin and judgment. All of the spiritual gifts on different scales fall into these categories in different ways. They build up the body of believers. They convict the body of believers. They speak truth to the world. They show the world the way that the life of God should be lived. That is their role and purpose among the body of believers and to the world. He says, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. 
concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. If you read the gospels, one of the refrains over and over and over again is Jesus goes, I'm gonna go to Jerusalem and I'm gonna be betrayed and they're gonna kill me and I'm gonna come back to life in three days. And the disciples would go, what? (laughs) But what's gonna happen? I'm gonna go to Jerusalem and I'm gonna be betrayed and they're gonna kill me and I'm gonna rise three days later. but what's gonna happen? <laughs> I'm gonna go to Jerusalem and it's, it's, it's thing after thing after thing after thing after thing. And the refrain that the gospels will say, for they did not yet have the spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, which is 50 days after uh, Passover, uh, the Holy Spirit falls on the, the nascent church and all of a sudden, boom, they understand. They understand it. I have a very similar story. I didn't become a Christian until I was 18 years old, but I was raised in a Christian uh, cult, Jehovah's Witnessdom. I had read the Old and New Testament my whole life, and I literally did not understand it. I, I couldn't make sense of it. I, I, it. I can't explain it. And I became a Christian on a ski trip, and I came back home, and I started reading my Bible And it was like scales off my eyes. And I understood it. That's the Holy Spirit's role. As we talk about spiritual gifts, we need to fundamentally understand these are not things to build you up for the sake of building you up. They are given to help take the scales off our eyes and off the eyes of the world and off the eyes of other believers to show us the better ways, to show us the deeper truths. The Holy Spirit has come to guide us in truth. And this is why Jesus says, it's better if I go. Because once the Holy Spirit comes into your world, into your life and your heart, you are going to begin to see what you couldn't see, to understand what you couldn't understand, and to know what you couldn't know. And you are to live with this spirit. And so Rick's gonna come back out and we're gonna kind of kick this around a little bit. Uh, what does this mean and how do we walk this out? And you mean go this way? Slide this way. You betcha. So this would all be like, like we could be done right now and be like, okay, I think we, we're good with that. And then Paul goes on and yes. he says things that we may or may not. Oh, by the way, happy Father's Day. I'm well, happy Father's Day. Oh, thank you very much. There you go. <clears throat> Just occurred to me. I'm a random squirrel. There we go. So... <laughs> Rick, so, Rick moved this week, so yeah. we're lucky he's even here. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm pretty well lost right now. I'm living out of the truck right now. So, all right, so 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you're the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. And we're like, oh, okay. Then miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. And, and thus enters into like a lot of questions. 
that we want to carry in light of what we've just been teaching and how we understand these things and in light of the fact that our church, we've wrestled with this. Uh, verse 29, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? Of course, it's rhetorical, no. But carefully, earnestly desire the higher gifts and I will show you a still more excellent way, which is 1 Corinthians 13. That love in truth and in grace and all of God that Greg is describing, I've been teaching those things, that is what the Spirit of God is doing. But early on in the history of this church, there was a, there was a kind of a coming together of people who had lived in some different backgrounds. When I, I shared last week, I'm Assemblies of God Presbyterian background. I'm an Assemblybaterian, whatever that is, right? Which means I've got a little bit of, of uh, the frozen chosen and the wild side. I've got it both going on, right? And um, so I really valued that too, but it's hard because some of these things are like, what does that mean? And I see it in the scriptures, but what does that mean now? And so, so we were we came together and we wrote a position paper and you were part of that, I was part of that, the elders at the time were part of that, where we described this is how we understand, this is what we know. We understand that there's still mystery here. There's understanding, we're not trying to, to reduce this to a, like an extremely uh, bullet point, that's it. But within the context of what we've been describing, we kind of entered into what some call the sign gifts, some call the uh, charismatic gifts. There's lots of different terms for that. But Greg, I want us to just dialogue on three of them and maybe about five minutes each and then invite you and encourage you to go read the position paper to get a deeper understanding of these things and why they cannot become for us uh, like, well, you do this or you do that and somehow that is like a sign of spirituality or something that's for your, so one of the mistakes people make is, is this, well, these things, if we could just have these things happen, more people would come to know Jesus and the truth is in the scriptures, he raised Lazarus from the dead and they try to kill him and Lazarus, right? right. So. We gotta understand what these kinds of things are about. So we got three, we're just gonna talk about five minutes each. All right, uh, prophecy is list. Tell us, a just give us some context for prophecy. Greg. Sure, well in the Old Testament, prophecy, prophecy was an office. You were anointed as a prophet of God and were authoritarian because of that office. But the office of prophet ended with John the Baptist. When John the Baptist dies and the Holy Spirit comes, that gift is disseminated among believers. And prophecy is not as much foretelling uh, as in the Old Testament, where at times Isaiah is doing a couple of things. He's speaking truth to the culture. Uh, Jeremiah is speaking truth to the outcasts. And then they're also going, but there's this guy coming whose name's Jesus, and he's going to be born of a virgin. And they're foretelling. They're forth foretelling. And prophecy is the other half of that is forthtelling, telling the truth in spiritual language. The gift of prophecy very much more now seems to operate in a way in which uh, people are able to speak spiritual truths in powerful ways. And if you're a believer here, uh, you, I guarantee you every person in this room has an experience where another believer has spoken truth to them and it was like a hammer hitting you in the face. Uh, that their words were so pointed and so direct and so on point to your situation. They may not have known your situation. They may have been standing on a stage just talking, but the Holy Spirit just went pow right between your eyes. That's prophecy. That is somebody speaking the word of God, the truth of God, extremely powerfully in whatever form that takes. Yeah, and I think of everything from your teaching gift. My wife is a counselor. And she is clearly a person who is gifted with spiritual discernment, speaking the truth in powerful ways. It's one of the reasons she's so effective. What she, she's skilled, but it's not, you couldn't attribute it to the skill. There's more going on there. I think of a couple of uh, folks in this church who were 
uh, small group leaders for my boys and my daughter when they were growing up. They were spoke prophetically into their lives and a lot of who they are today came from those relationships. Sure. So when we think of prophecy, we can think of it in that terms. And there are, uh, like for, for your teaching gift, my leading gift, it's not something that we own or it's like it's an own off switch. It's something we're entrusted with to give to the body. Right. It's not just for us. Um, so let's just talk a little bit about um, miracles and healings. Let me give you a story from my background. So uh, my wife and I struggled with infertility for years. You know, and, you know, your family did as well. And so uh, I had a friend. He said, hey, I know this guy. His name is Heggy. I'm like, from the very beginning, I'm like, oh, this is off, right? So but his name's Heggy. And you know what they say? People say he's got hot hands, that when he prays for people, like things happen, and he prays for women who have infertility, and, and very soon they're pregnant. And I'm like, well, that's just weird. And no, I'm not interested, right? <laughs> Come on now, it wouldn't hurt to pray. I'm like, oh, see. Okay. So it's a friend of mine. He said, look, this guy's not weird. He's not, he's not going to come in and say, God told me or whatever, but he just, this is a, something he does as a heart is okay. So we go and we, and we meet with Heggie and Heggie's kind of like John the Baptist. He's just all over the place and kind of looking, I, I expect him to pull out locusts, dip them in honey and sit right there and eat in front. And, and Heggie uh, starts talking with us and he says, Hey, I can't tell you whether you're going to get pregnant or whatever, but I can pray with you and I can really seek the Lord. And so he did. And he said, Hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you, Rick, to uh, place your hand on your wife's womb and just pray for God to bring a life. And, and if he does, then once you're pregnant, don't tell anyone this story until after your, your child is born. And then tell everyone who asks, hey, God really intervened on this. He didn't make us any promises. He didn't say, God told me. I still thought the whole thing was a little bit weird until four and a half weeks later, I found out my wife was four weeks pregnant, right? So we did our part. It wasn't immaculate conception, but... <laughs> It's, not, it's relevant to the point. It's yeah, relevant yeah, it to is. the point. It is. <laughs> so, so we got, let me try to rescue this. So we go back. I'm so glad my wife's not here in the service. So, so we go back and we infertility for five more years. We went back to pray with Heggie, and this was he said, "Hey, I'd be glad to pray with you, but honestly, I don't think your marriage is in a good place. So why don't you go work on your marriage, and we can think about that having a baby." He was right. And so here God worked this miracle and here God didn't work in the way I thought because he was speaking truth. He was loving me with truth. And there's as much grace in God giving us the child Jessica through that prayer as there was him God saying no at that moment. There's grace in both because from that is our adoption of our son, Zach. And from that was our leaving Chicago to come to Knoxville, which is why we're here because we decided to work on our marriage first. So God was at work in that yeah. way. Now, uh, so it's, we encourage praying for miracles. We encourage praying for healing. What we do discourage at every point is telling people you will be healed or God's promised he's going to heal you because it just ain't so. It's not in there. And we have people we love dearly who die and people we love dearly who've been healed. Yep. And they're both graces from God. Right. So the third one is probably the one that's like, the weirdest to conceptualize is tongues. Talk a little bit about it. In about, what, two or three weeks or a month, you're going to talk more about this, right? Yeah, it's about three weeks. Okay. That, uh, Paul spends a lot of time in, in 1 Corinthians 14 speaking about prophecy and tongues. And we're going to dive into this a lot more there. Uh, but I think the thing that we really want to emphasize is in this chapter, on this text this morning, Paul very clearly kind of says, do all speak in tongues? And the rhetorical answer that he's expecting is no 
sometimes, unfortunately, tongues is held up as this spiritual union with God that everybody has to have. And if you haven't had an experience with the Holy Spirit that leads you to speak in tongues, then you are off somehow spiritually. Uh, that's really unfortunate because that is not so. Uh, the Bible is very clear that not everyone is going to speak in tongues, nor could they, uh, because the Spirit gives gifts as he wills. Um, however, uh, the, when we get into the chapter uh, 14, I think everybody's assumption about tongues is going to be challenged because there's groups uh, uh, in fellowship that are very open to that and experience that, uh, and some who have unfortunately been taught that everybody should do that. And then there's groups that are like, tongues is all bogus, and everything about it's bogus, and they're going to be challenged by the text right. too, because clearly uh, it's in the text and needs to be reckoned with. So that's about three weeks, if I, I think. Yeah, and this is where my assembly batarian thing comes in, because I was prayed with by a more Pentecostal charismatic to receive the gift of tongues. And I honestly, I, I, and we've had this conversation, I don't know what I think about that. I know what I think about them, the way it was done, because it was a sign of baptism in the Holy Spirit to demonstrate how I was at this new place spiritually. I'm like, no, that can't be right. At the same time, I definitely have had experiences that would be considered to be like gift of tongues. And I've, I've always felt like, you know what, whatever this is, whatever that part of that experience is, that is something that, that is a part of my prayer and my life with God. And I'm really thankful for whatever he used that in. It's not something that happens very often to me. And I honestly today cannot tell you, oh yeah, that's the gift of tongues. I don't know. What I do know is that the call of this is, is to yield ourselves and to be open to however it is that God wants to work. And it's mysterious. And so if you have friends or you encounter, if you're not, if you're on that side of this, could, this is terrible, people don't do that. And you have friends who do, don't look at them suspiciously and just learn and grow. And if you have that gift, don't feel the, like, the, like somehow, like someone told me one time years ago, said, I wish you had the gift of tongues because I feel like you're the way that person conceived it. I wish you had this gift because then you would have a more intimate relationship with God. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. That can't be. It can't be that somehow one of these gifts makes me more intimate with God no. because these gifts are about how the body grows. So the only time I experience that kind of gifts are when I'm praying as a leader and don't know what to do. There are times when I, I think I have that type of an experience. Maybe I'm just making it up in my head. I'm not too worried about it because I know I'm praying earnestly and yielding myself to the Holy Spirit and I'm praying because what I'm praying for is how do I lead through this? What do you have me to do through this? And, and I don't talk much about it because it's not like a, I sure wouldn't want to indicate that, well, if you're a leader, you need to have that gift because it's not. It's about how we serve the body. All these things are about serving the body. If you had to summarize, Greg, where we are with this and, and, and like kind of put a, a statement around it that we could walk away from as we look to next week and continue in Corinthians, what would, sure. what would you do? I think the main thing that I would want to pull out of any discussion out of 1 Corinthians basically 11 uh, following is how much Paul is pushing the believer to understand that a salvation by grace requires an intimacy with God knowing you are totally dependent on him. You can't believe in salvation by grace and not understand that you are totally dependent on God. Well, the same exact thing is true for your Christian walk. Your Christian walk is totally dependent on the Holy Spirit. Uh, the more we try to muscle up and achieve it. Yep. Uh, now we do have to engage our will. We have to choose, we have to walk. Right. But the more we try to go, I will do this, instead of always turning to God, always relying on God, that it is that power that infuses 
the Christian walk with all the things you read about, the peace that passes understanding, all these kind of things that really what Paul's pushing toward is for every believer to always be focused on and pulling toward and relying on God. Yeah. And mine would be a couple. One is, you know, we, one of the things we talk about is every now and then we'll have a young, uh, young leader who comes to you and says, I want to do what you do. You know, I want to, and your, I know your response is, well, do what I do, which is in, uh, when I was in my twenties, I taught a seventh grade girls Sunday school class with three girls in it. That's, That's where right. I started. Right. So go serve and see what happens. Right. Uh, because we kind of have this mindset of, wouldn't it be great if I could stand up and talk, <clears throat> but really not understanding with that comes the burden of the study and the prayer and the reality of the kind of the spiritual battle that goes with delivering the truth. And I think that we, we think wrongly about these things because we have categories and Paul, I think is pushing it. Don't get these categories of, well, this is the gift or this is just, it's about a relationship with him. It's about a relationship with one another. Second of all, um, because we are a diverse church, you're going to run into people who have different ideas on some of these things. So, and that's fine. If you come from a background, I still think this whole prophecy, uh, tongues thing is just, uh, just as Greg said, let the word of God challenge you. If you come from a background that says, well, until you've been baptized and speak in tongues, baptized in the Holy Spirit, speak in tongues, you've not really had that full blessing. Let the word of God challenge and work and let's do that together. But how we're gonna live and lead together is our paper. And right. if you wanna learn and understand more about that and, and how that works. And the final thing I would say is, well, why don't you guys like talk about this all the time? What we talk about all the time is the gospel, uh, Jesus and disciple making, because that's what this is all about. Right. And you put it in any other context, any other context, and it becomes unhealthy because it becomes about us. And this is really about the gospel. It's about Jesus. It's about disciple making. That's what we get up every day to be about. Would you all stand with us? And we're gonna, I'm going to pray, and then we'll have a, a prayer team be able to pray. Thank you, Greg, for joining me in this. Lord, um, we, we, we are surrounded, as with our last song, we're surrounded, and we're surrounded in the midst of a mystery. Like we're not trying to get control and contain all this and, and have six bullet points that answer everything. We're just trying to enter into it, but there are foundational principles we need in our heart. And Greg nailed it. Dependence and interdependence on one another and that this is not for us, it's for the body. Lord, I yield to you, gifting I have in leadership, I yield to you. It is for the mission of your disciple-making movement. It's not for me. And I yield it to you however you want to use it. And you surprised me so much by even bringing me to Knoxville, much less putting me in this role, because that's how you wanted to distribute that gift. Lord, I think about Greg being in Nashville and teaching and uh, getting ready to move to Nashville and how you surprised he and Jen with the call to first do college ministry here and then become our lead teaching pastor. And that we all have these stories. We all have these stories of where you've spoken in with someone else through, through uh, your body and through your word and through your spirit. And you've, just, you've, you've, you've been a part uh, uh, of our journey by, by having other people be a part of that, Lord. And just open our hearts to how we can be that. And if we have certain gifts that maybe are unique in terms of other people's experience, help us to learn how to dialogue those with humility and generosity calling everyone to simply explore and learn what does God have in your gifting. And Lord, as we come together next week, teach us and show us how it is we actually learn what our gifting is and how we're called to use it. it this is not theory. This is, this is boots on the ground disciple making. And so Lord, would you open us to that? Lord, I pray, thank you for our elders and the way they've led our paper that we, that we uh, uh, submit ourselves to and we walk through. 
And Lord, even though we would have different ideas and different ways of seeing things, we are committed to being one body led by one spirit. And Lord, just pray that we will be faithful to what our elders have called us to do and to lead. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.